You're listening to an Imagine More podcast. The presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 Get That Good Life Conference. We've split this session into three parts. This is part one. Hi, my name is Dan. I would like to tell you about Janice Clicks. Janet lives in Canada. Her work is very important. It is a best on SRC. She is help people with disability to get the good things in life. Janet believes that is important to build John communities that welcome everyone Janet is very good at teaching their best way to support people with, with disability last time Janet spoke about building a powerhouse teams and families and this support her her presentation Today is called Towards Methods Hints. They are um, in juice of the powerhouse. <laughs> I hope you enjoy listening to Janet. Thank you, Gus. It's just so lovely to be welcomed by now a familiar face. And so you did my introduction the other day as well. It's just lovely. Um, it's just uh, really wonderful to be here. I want to start by saying that I'm speaking from the territory of the Mississaugas of Skugog Island First Nation, and I acknowledge their stewardship of this land over many thousands of years. We are bound together by a treaty in this part of Canada that um, settlers actually have not honored well, and it's time that we start to rebalance this relationship in order to move forward in the future together and stronger. I've tried to put together a presentation that had some follow-through from the one I did uh, the other uh, day on building a powerhouse team, but I wanted to do something that would be um, a more practical, uh, you know, that we'd have some chance to work at a few things, but even more importantly, I'm hoping I can leave you with lots and lots of practical ideas that you can take home and um, and try out with your team and see um, what effect that, that might have. First of all, uh, I always like to kind of touch on uh, where my ideas kind of come from or what the underlying values and beliefs are. I'll just say that uh, this work and this thinking and the outcomes of um, all of this would not be possible if there wasn't an underlying value and a belief in the worth of each and every person. And what that means is when people aren't present, when they're left to the margins, we are not able to experience their contributions and our society is less without everyone. Secondly, we believe in the capacity of family as I've worked for families for so long that this just is a very, very strong belief. Families don't need to be alone. They don't need to um, be able to do everything, but the leadership among family members of all kinds is uh, immense and impactful. We need to be able to uh, look at our um, communities and see the abundance and the possibility within, and that sometimes can be um, a challenge if we're not used to doing that. Once you get started on it, it's really clear and powerful. 
And then in this chaotic time, we really need to have a principled approach that kind of sets the vision and then uh, gives us lots of opportunity to check whether we're on a pathway to actually achieving the vision, that good life in that vision, or are we wasting our time on something else altogether? Uh, for me, that's greatly influenced by the, the framework of social role valorization. I always start with the gifts and the contributions um, and the possibilities of the person, thinking that they're living within an abundant community, even if it's not yet discovered. And always safeguarding, because often the people we're talking about are either um, on the margins or at risk of being put to the margins of our society. So we need to continually to safeguard um, for the benefit of um, everyone. So those are just some really basic ideas that I think are, are really um, important in this work. For today's presentation, I'm going to do a little bit of overlap of some very basic concepts from what I had done with building the powerhouse team. But I'm going to just see if I can give you a little bit more um, to take home and work with rather than big ideas, some practical things. And if we've got the why kind of solid in our heads and that's around the vision, some of maybe what I will talk about in the next hour or so is how to get started, how to figure it out, how to work things through. What are some lessons learned from many, many families um, who have gone before? One of the questions people often say to me is, how do you find people to be on this team? And I just really want to say that a powerhouse team is not found or recruited, but it's shaped, inspired, and guided by an ever-evolving process. If you start working at your team, it starts to, to, to move backwards. So we really need to keep that in mind. And, uh, you know, the things that we have to come back to again and again and again is vision, understanding that unique support role, um, having some effective strategies to implement our ideas and vigilance to make sure that we're on the path and we need to do that again and again. So I'm going to today touch on uh, many of these themes, you know, sharing that vision for a powerhouse start, uh, building excitement for the essential role of support, strategies that are really powerful for the team, a vigilant mindset, my promise to you that I will try to make this, you know, practical that you can walk away with um, uh, some ideas. So um, one of the things that people ask from time to time, who's this team you're talking about? But I don't have a team. Do I wait till I've got a team of four or five people and then, you know, I can look at this material and have it make sense? And I think teams are ever changing and uh, start at all uh, kinds of levels. If you are um, a family member of... Um, a person with a disability that you're wanting to move in this direction, you're at the very least the, the you know the beginning team, and it's worthwhile getting this information good and early. So it's always at least this one person um, with a disability plus one uh, family member, ally, or committed non-paid person in their life. Uh, perhaps this person um, has several family members who are interested in their life journey, and then the team's just that much bigger. Often, the person and the family also has some paid support. It could be as little as, you know, we've got some marvelous stuff happening with that four or five hours a week, or it might be significantly more. And sometimes we're working toward the person plus the family plus the paid support and then a growing number of uh, friends and allies. And if you're already there, uh, then you can really embrace larger parts of this information. But I just wanted to make sure that you can get it started no matter how small you are in terms of team. And so let's start with the vision then. And uh, this is foundational. This is the guiding light, the thing that you are going to keep going back to again and again. And uh, you'll see what I mean. It's really important to 
start off with an idea, a vision that would be just as comfortable for you to wear as it would be for your son or daughter. So if we want a good typical life in community, we have to make sure that it is a typical life. It's one that you and I would embrace. Some of the things that most of us um, feel very uh, strongly about that we want to be part um, and a contributing part of a natural community where uh, we are valued and we are respected, whether for our differences or for the things that we have in common with other people, where our contributions are, are sought out and valued by others. And where the things that we want to have in our lives, um, there's a, a range of ways um, to get them done, but not in weird kind of ways, but the ways that everyone uh, values and enjoys. And so it's really important to start with a vision uh, that uh, could be embraced by everyone. And, you know, we all think in different ways, sometimes in these big lofty ways, but in essence, um, that vision is built out of um, people coming together again and again and again and making these kinds of lists for the good things in life. And these are the things that we all want in our lives in one way and another, how they come to us, how we're satisfied with receiving them or or shaping them is different from person to person but these are the things that that we want and need and so those are the things that we would assume and we would work with our loved ones with disability but also want and need in their lives there isn't a special list for special people uh, we all want need and deserve to have and thrive best in the same kind of environment and so um what's really important is that sometimes people look at these vision uh, statements and whatnot. And they think, Oh my goodness, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. And that's why the vision and what you really try to call people to is that this is something that's wanted, desired. You'd like to work toward that, even if at the very beginning, you don't know how you're going to get there. So we say it's quite aspirational and that's okay. You don't have to figure out the how right now you're building uh, the momentum for that good life. And that's what, um, your family member, yourself, and eventually this team, whatever it is comprised of, uh, needs to kind of embrace all together. This will guide us on our journey. And most importantly, is the fact that um, uh, we want this because when people aren't present in these ways in and among the rest of our community, our community will not work as well. It will be missing something that it may not even know. And so that's the other why that's really important. So this is what we want for all people's lives. This is another way to condense that list. Everyone wants genuine purpose, positive identity, a chance to contribute, authentic relationship, welcome and real belonging. And um, this is so far from the reality, the honest reality of so many people's lives, people with disability. And the fact is, it needn't be. We know how to make this happen, and we have to start um, gathering together what we know and applying. Um, I have kind of looked at a couple of the conference sessions, and I know that uh, lots of people are um, starting to know this and giving us stories that we can be uh, totally thrilled by. So uh, good news on the horizon or we're in the middle of good news and good stories that we can follow. I want to emphasize that the heart of what we want to need always is relationship. It's for you, for me, our families, members with disabilities are no exception. Um, and it's really vital to all of our lives because relationship it, it, in our lives is what enriches our lives, what um brings us opportunities we didn't even know that we're looking for, uh, stretching us in new ways, demanding sometimes contributions we didn't have within us. And we are better in relationship 
We may differ on the number of relationships and the kinds of relationships we want, but we all benefit um, so much. And people with disabilities in particular need the additional safeguarding aspect of relationship. And relationship does um, safeguard anyways. We look out for each other, the people we care about. This needs to be intentionally and solidly built for people with disabilities in many, many layers. So if something happens to some people, other people are around. And this is a good time for me to talk about, I talk a lot about people's uh, desire and need and interest in developing relationship with people who don't have a disability. I don't want people to mistake that for not valuing relationship between people with disability or people um, in general. It's just that what I hear from individuals and from families is it's the relationships with non-family members out in our, our community, um, same age peers, people who will grow through life with the individual that's hugely missing from people's lives. And that's why I think it needs um, some front and center attention at all times. And you'll hear me talk about this um, a lot. And that's only because I'm in and among families to, who say this is important. Now, in order to get practical, when you see that little red running show up there, this is me trying to <laughs> help you say, okay, that's, that's great theory. Here's some practical things to think about. It's really helpful for all kinds of people if you think about vision and you break it down a little bit uh, into uh, the various parts of um, life, you know, the different realms or the different domains or the different life areas such as home, work, recreation and leisure family, friends, there would be other categories that people would put down. These seem to be many of the main ones. Um, the ones that's important for you might well be missing. Um, what I've done is I've drawn out two of them so that you can have a sense of what I mean. So you might say for this person, uh, what she's told me is really important is having a home that's a really safe place where she won't be afraid to be on her own a little bit, but she definitely wants a home of her own. She wants to be queen of her castle. She wants to be in charge of and control of her space, including who comes to live with her. And she'd like people to live with her who, you know, she can learn from where there's some real mutual relationship and, and maybe one or two of the same interests. So they actually share in their life a little bit. Those kinds of things are vision kinds of statements. It could be brought about in a person's life in several different ways. So this isn't a goal with a very uh, strong, concrete boundaries, but it's really visionary, right? Um, and then another example might be the civic realm of one's life. So your vision might be uh, that this is a person who who really loves being a citizen of Australia or Canada or whatever, and really... Uh, interested in the politics and voting. And, and, you know, that could lead to many different things, including being involved in campaigns and that kind of thing. But uh, also really wants to give back in some way, wants to be a good citizen of this country. And it might be in an environmental way, or it might be in a fundraising kind of way. There's lots of different places to go. So you see both of those boxes say two roles. And what that does is it says, you know, over a lifetime, people might explore home that has all of those elements, but it might be in one way this time and another way another time, the same with the civic um, areas of life. And so this is just a really helpful way for um, particularly paid support people on the team. And I'll come to kind of breaking that down in a minute, uh, but how they can kind of um, grasp it when it sounds um, to some people, um, if you just keep it at that higher level you know, a little bit unattainable. They're not quite sure what your words mean or what they're supposed to be focusing on. So kind of looking at vision in this way is really, really helpful. 
So just let me know, what are three life areas that would be the most important for you to begin to describe and address right now? And some things that can be from the previous list I just showed, but to really think this through, are there three life areas that you are pretty convinced are the most important? Would your son, daughter, or family member that you're planning with be in agreement or would they have a slightly different three uh, that they would focus on? What about longer term people in, in, in the person's life? Um, often uh, people who are a little back are, are really interested in the longer term future and seeing what stability would look like then. Um, what about age peers of this person, um, young people that they know? Would those three areas be kind of more or less the same or very different? And then it's a great opportunity to um, kind of look at the longer list with some of your paid support members and ask what they're kind of interested in right now. So any thoughts and ideas? Friends, home, employment. Yes, absolutely. And so many people, like, you know, we're talking about people in the, the beginning of their adult life and into their middle years only. Um, and there's so many things to be nailed down at that point in your life. So it's really important to kind of look at which three areas. I know we might do something kind of longer term and more solid and sustaining, and that would be um, something like uh, a home of your own. And then another one that might focus on that leisure recreation uh, passion and interests category because, you know, home is a long-term goal for people in terms of uh, sometimes home ownership or real stability of home or your home after you've tried out a few uh, uh, times of flatting or whatever. But um, along the way, what keeps us interested in life are our passions and interests. Hobbies, work, and home. Yes, so someone else has got hobbies down. Uh, work, home, romantic relationships. Absolutely. You know, who am I going to live with for the rest of my life? Sometimes we find a, a roommate like that, but the most often uh, those are our um, more um, intimate partners or, or romantic partners that uh, uh, we get to see beyond their warts in a whole different way, right? Okay. The next thing I want to do around vision that's a little bit practical is just talk about some real basics around uh, bringing the team on board for vision. So if you've got some new people, they might be young adults themselves. They might never have thought of vision for their own life in a conscious kind of way, but it's typically there for lots of people. So I would say, first of all, just keep it simple. Talk about these life areas, make it concrete, uh, figure out where there's priority and agreement, right? So if, um, yep, work is something that, um, sounds pretty clear to them that someone who's 22 or 23 would want to work on, agree on that. Uh, do something like uh, figuring out the top three areas so they're not looking at 12 to 15 life areas and expecting to achieve what by when, right? It's uh, This is incremental. These are the main things. This one's going to take slowly over time. And this one we can get onto pretty quickly once we narrow down which interest we're going to follow. Um, I think it's really, really important to make it personal. So this is a conversation rather than you know, you telling the person about the vision. This is, you know, sit down and tell me about your own life. Um, when you look at this list of what's important in people's lives as a team, what would we um, categorize as most important and what's the order for us? And uh, what are your own thoughts about home right now and relationship and, and satisfying work? And people will answer to different degrees, but particularly if you have people in the same lifespan as your um, sons and daughters, you're going to get people um, who will begin to link. And that's the third thing that I'm saying there. You want these young people to identify that, hey, 
actually, it's not so different. So I'm just getting to know this guy. There's so much about him that seems different to me. Wow, here's some pretty important things that are the same. And one of the biggest things you're always looking for is for your paid support members on your team to really identify at a personal level with the person they're supporting. And then ensure them, yep, the list is long or the uh, goals are high or the vision is high, um, but we're going to do this together. We're going to learn together. We're pretty clear on the why, the how, you know, that woman, Janet, or some other people have some strategies, but we're going to actually have to work them out together and see what they really mean. So um, this is just some practical, practical ways to deal with the vision piece. The second area that we're going to look at is building some excitement for the essential role of supporter. So the role of support is usually left unclear and it's up to each family or supporter to address. Lots of families don't think in terms of role um, very clearly and said, look at you, come on, you're supposed to do this, 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 and this, a whole bunch of duties, times that you're supposed to be, there are things that you're supposed to do, but we're not putting it together for people in terms of role. And when we identify in terms of role, we're actually giving people lots more information so that they can begin to make decisions to do something or not to do something from that kind of language. Um, and so it's quite money. One of the wonderful things to do, and we did it with the group the other day, was to have people do a little brainstorm on your team about, you know, the support role is or the support role is not. And helping people to be really, really clear on what for you belongs in that not box and what for you belongs in the is box. And and where they might be the same or differ. Um, and so often uh, they came up with this kind of list, right? That says, you know, the uh, um, paid support person is not a paid friend, is not the boss, is not the one in control, is not the babysitter, really. It's the guide, the, the, the low profile facilitator, the backup, the toolkit builder, those kinds of things. And in that conversation already, if they see what are the green light kinds of things, so get a more and more clear idea of what it is that you have in mind. So a powerful um, kind of exercise. I'm always looking for words or one side of the or others. I just love it when I get a new word or two. Um, a few years ago, um, someone said a, a, a tourist guide. <laughs> I love that one. For me, um, even though there's lots of different roles that come up around what a supporter is, lots of roles to describe it. For me, there's one way of describing this role that supersedes all others. And the others are supporting roles toward this. And that is that the essential um, support role is being a bridge to relationship and connection in community. So what that means is that instead of being the relationship itself, the be-all and end-all for the person, they really are this conduit, this bridge into all kinds of possibility, particularly in the realm of connecting with community in a certain way and especially around relationship. So it's a, it's a great role to keep relationship at front and center in all of the work um, that the, the person does. It's a really unique role. And I think one of the things is, is in the absence of anything else, people not, aren't sure if the role is valued, if it's essential, or if it's just something you've got some money to put toward, right? Or is it kind of really fancy babysitting? And so I think by being very serious about naming the role and understanding the value of the role, that people embrace it more clearly. 
So it's unique. Uh, no one else can quite uh, take on this role. I'll explain that in a moment. And also, I think the very fact that there is a paycheck carves out time in the paid supporter's role to do things reliably and well in a person's life that other people don't have. So there's something very important to that, even essential. If you don't do it, it will not get done. What is key to point out really early on in this is this is really a role that is a bridge to relationship. It's not the relationship itself. And for many people, uh, they get uh, unsure about what the role might be that they're expected to take on. And so the role, the word friend is your most um, reliable thing to, to reach for. And I'm very, very clear that the role of the paid support is not the friend, especially while they're being paid to do the job, the job is bridge. And here's one of my um, thought processes around that one is if the paid supporter thinks that they're the friend, the motivation to get out there and look for friends for that person is hugely reduced. The person with a disability themselves sees the person as a friend, um, belongs onto the person, loves being with them because they spent some time together. They're reliable. They're charming. They're caring. Why wouldn't they uh, feel like they're the friend? Um, and they're not that interested in letting go and being with other people where it might be a little bit tricky, a little bit less certain. Families who are often quite tired and um, uncertain about things are so happy for a short period of time that their son or daughter is happy and sees this person as a friend that they just go along with it, that they're the friend. And the support person themselves um, loses the edge or the, the desire to understand that this is really key because they really do care for this person a lot. And in their presence, they feel that the person is gaining a lot. And so the edge is taken off around that desire uh, to look for um, friends around. And so it's really important, I think, that we really need to focus on that that's not your role right now. There's a time in the future you might leave that paid role and come back as friend and, and families are often holding hope that that happens. And, um, but it's better not to promise because you don't know what the future brings. And, you know, 95% of paid support people um, need to go on to take another job that doesn't allow this kind of time and commitment to continue. And the other thing, it's not a real definition of friend as we know it, right? Uh, there's a degree of pay that is involved in all of our friendships. And what that means is that it is out of control of the person when that uh, you know, paid supporter leaves or not. So all of this is saying that uh, essential role is a role of being bridge, which means you're not the friend, but you are an essential uh, part of the present, a valued part of this team. There's an absolute role for you. Um, you're really essential in making a big difference uh, to people in their lives in lots of different right ways and in having some new identities, um, uh, making contributions, um, having roles that uh, people relate to and understand. And so there's a really big role to take on. Can't really take it on if you're going to be the friend at the same time. It really um, messes things up. And one of the things a bridge does is, you know, holds a belief in, in possibility uh, when others can't see it, maybe from that vantage point of the high point of the bridge. And you're really, you've got this unique role of understanding both the person that you're supporting and the new person in community. And you can kind of play a bridging role until they spend some time together. Another thing I think that we have to make clear to paid support people, it's not a shortcoming in a supporter if they don't become the friend, right? Providing not good support and not leaving behind a scaffolding of 
you know, various relationships in, in various degrees, that's a failure. A failure to work with someone for two, three years and not one relationship is in your wake. That's what I would worry about way more than it's not a shortcoming if your life is uh, taking a different direction. Just quickly to say that there's all kinds of support tasks that still can fit the bridge. You know, if you, relationship is what it's all about. Um, all the people doing lots of the personal care support um, and some of the meal uh, prep and whatnot, you're preparing people physically, emotionally, mentally for their day so that they're at their best self. That's really, really important work that contributes to the person being able to take advantage of this bridging kind of uh, role. And so is getting to know someone so that you can augment, hear and augment their voice. Uh, all of the work in role development, that's all part of being a really, really effective bridge. So don't worry if your hours are seven to nine every day in the morning that that bridge role is not for you. Um, it very much is. Just a couple of um, uh, thoughts around barriers to re being a bridge. Um, and this is just... Uh, very concrete ways that you can highlight to people or you can, as families, look around and see what you say happening. If uh, most of the time is spent in a one-to-one -one support relationships, supported situations, um, that's a barrier, not a bridge. You know, there's no third person in that conversation, in that situation. Um, you're a barrier when you just pass through community. You're entertaining rather than building roles where people can engage with others, right? So it's just flipping around. And the only relationship that's consistent or interesting is the one with the paid support. That's a barrier. If you're being an expert, so people think that they can't come near because they don't have your expertise or being the center of attention rather than the person themselves when they know your name and not the person you're coming in with, that's a barrier. Uh, when you focus on your own interests and drive the person around to all these things, and he's keen to be with you, he really likes you, uh, but it's not really um, seeing, noticing, and developing his interests. When um, the person isn't understandable in terms of behavior or language, and you don't provide a really positive interpretation of what the person is saying or doing, that's a barrier because that person then remains unknowable to the third or fourth person who sees them. And if you can't get comfortable, find a way to be chatty, asking people questions and drawing people in and say, sorry, that's just not my personality. I'm a one-on-one -on -one guy. <laughs> You're giving a barrier rather than a bridge. And as I said, when you see yourself as a friend. So it's just very concrete ways to help people clarify this role. That being said, I think it's really important that we need to continue to value the people that come in support uh, roles uh, to your team. And uh, one of the ways that I, I thought uh, is always helpful to do that is to be really clear, what do paid supporters bring to the team, even when they don't um, there's some things missing. So there's what they need to learn, but what do they bring? And some of the things that I think about right off the top is new people always, almost always bring some new degree of energy, some fresh eyes. Also, they can bring different life experiences, uh, different approaches. Maybe they're particularly interested in art or music or physics. Maybe they're a super curious kind of person. Maybe a number of people that I know after a few weeks of being very, very tentative um, actually are so pleased that they delight in the person, right? And so there's the new joy and de delight of the person that they bring. What other ideas do people have with it they're bringing into the relationship? Energy, patience, new ways of relating, absolutely. 
new ways of describing things and getting things done, new ways of teaching. Um, and, you know, we know when it works because that new strategy uh, stays in place person after person. And what about what do they need to learn? Um, the other thing I think that new people bring on when they get the vision that it's the same vision for everyone. And yet, uh, because of a devaluation and because of, oh, that's good enough for him thinking of our society, that the gap from that vision of being in place in people's lives is greater for another person simply because of their disability. Uh, lots of people find this social justice kind of blood that runs through their veins, and they can bring that in a way. Uh, family members have lived with this forever, <laughs> but for lots of uh, supporters, they come with this righteous uh, justice mentality that's really, really wonderful needs to be in terms of what they need to learn. They might need to temper that a bit. They might need to kind of have some help uh, seeing how things are working through there. But that's a really big asset that they have. Um, interest, skills, absolutely. A sense of fun, willing to connect and listen to the person. Yeah, that's what, those are supporters using their time well. New strategies, if it's in the classroom, relevant connections, absolutely. You know, so those are all... It's really good to keep kind of track. And then what do they need to learn? There's all kinds of things. They need to learn that vision, but they also need to learn why that vision isn't in place uh, or isn't taken for granted in this person's life as their own. And they often need some real strategies, things that they had have worked before in their own lives, for example, might need to be broken down or done from another angle or, you know, started over again. So they really need some help with planning and design. Families have been around since the get-go. They've figured out some things that just, you know, aren't going to work or areas you don't want to get into. So, for example, if it's a good life in community, you might be trying to avoid thinking about a group home um, as a home model uh, for the future, right? And so, you know, with that enthusiasm, people might say, oh, this sounds really good, or there's a yoga class for people with disabilities that sounds wonderful. You know, so they need to learn about some critical thinking about the choices you make now, uh, which are the ones that are on the path toward that vision and which are just the typical ways that society sees and offers things to people with disabilities. There's a few other places for us to stop, but uh, there's just some practical things that I get so excited about that I want to uh, share with people. So just making sure that you've got, you know, enough to kind of get going when you, uh, when you get out of here. <laughs> You've been listening to Imagine More Podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content.